0: My friends, my name is Kyle and I get to be the lead pastor of Friends Church Orange. On behalf of myself and our team and our entire church family, we are thrilled that you're choosing to listen to this message and invest in your relationship with God. We believe that He's going to be speaking to you and inviting you to become more of who He created and designed you to be. So if there's anything we can do to serve you on that journey, we invite you to reach out to us. But for now. Enjoy this message and listen for God's voice. Uh, Happy Easter. Easter. Welcome to Friends Church Orange. Like Jonathan said, it's my absolute privilege and honor uh, to be able to be a pastor here for this church, this community. And uh, one of the things I know is that we are grateful that you guys are here and you chose to worship and celebrate Easter and the resurrection of Jesus with us. We know that there are so many amazing churches all around Orange County. My bet is you guys probably drove past some this morning and so here's the thing, I love that there's lots of great options, and I love that you chose to be a part of our story here with us today. One of the things I know is that you're already starting to get a picture, um, not just of who Jesus is and why we're here today, but who we are as a church family. And that's something that's going to unfold today over time. And lots of you guys, I know you're part of our family, I know that, because you always sit in the same seats, which I love. So I see you, glad you're back. Uh, I don't know no different seats. Thank you, Michelle. You guys are in different seats. Uh, but some of, lots of you guys are new. And I love that, so I I am thrilled that you're with us today as we get to celebrate Jesus and Easter and the resurrection because that's why we're here, right? We are here because a dead guy rose to life. That's worth like, what? You gotta at least investigate that, right? Somebody dies and comes back to life? That is a crazy story. And it's not just any dead guy coming back to life. This is Jesus. The one who said he's the son of God. The one who even predicted his own death and resurrection. This is Jesus. And so that's why we're here. And here's the deal. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, but how do we know? Like, I mean, how do we know this is true? And that's a great question. And just a couple. First thing is, there's a lot of evidence. Like, the Bible has all kinds of eyewitnesses accounts of seeing Jesus after he was raised from the dead. So there's all kinds of, Jesus appeared to hundreds of people over a period of about six weeks after his resurrection. And so we see eyewitness accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Paul, and first Corinthians, all through the Bible. But here's the thing, it's not just the Bible because you're thinking, oh, well, of course, you're a pastor guy. Like that's the Bible. These are people that follow Jesus. Of course they're gonna say he rose. Here's the deal, I encourage you guys, go look. You'll see. That Roman and Greek and Jewish historians from the first century, they validate the resurrection of Jesus. These aren't church people. These aren't Jesus-y people. And yet they're the ones saying, oh, no, no, it's true. There was this guy, Jesus, who resurrected from the dead. But here's the thing. I'm not here to convince you that the resurrection is true. I'm not gonna take a lot of time trying to prove that because I believe there are way better people and way better sources that you can investigate and see that it's a historical fact. And I just encourage you to do that. You got questions, you should chase those questions. You should go look it up. Here's the thing, we're gonna spend our time today on why it matters. What if it's true? What if Jesus, the son of God, actually did rise from the dead? You see, what if it's possible to bring dead and dying things back to life in our lives? Because here's my bet. Regardless of how we walk in today, all of us have things that are decaying and are frayed and are dying in our lives. For some of it, it's it might be relationships. There might be some relationships or friendships, maybe even our, our marriage. We might be going to see some family today, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to tolerate it. We're just going to put a smile on, and happy Easter, and this is great. And we're like, oh, I can't wait. Well, God, I don't have to see him until Christmas. You know what I mean? It's like, we're just going to, but it's like, what if it doesn't have to be that way? What if those dying relationships, what if it's possible to have new life and hope brought into relationships? What if it's possible for some of you, you are wrestling with deep, very real physical issues in your life. What if it's possible that Jesus raised from the dead, the power to perform miracles can do one in your life? What if it's possible that the dreams that we all had when we were like the kids in this room, dreams to change the world? Dreams, right, to do all kinds of amazing things, and then over time, the world and the lies and the fear and the pain and everything, we just start to settle, and all of a sudden, our jobs or our vocation or our school, and people say you can't and you shouldn't and you won't, and we believe them, and we start to live these small stories. What if it's possible? What if it's possible for those dreams to be resurrected? What if it's possible for Jesus and his power and his life to put new energy into those dreams? What if God put them in you? for a reason, and he's the one that wants to energize them to live out. You see, Easter and the resurrection of Jesus, it shouts to us that you're loved, and that you're valuable, and that you're seen, and that you're chosen, and that you're invited, and that you're created uniquely, and you're spectacular in God's eyes. But the world doesn't want us to believe that. So today, as we go on this adventure, We're going to see that not only is nothing impossible with God, but you're going to get a great invitation to follow Jesus and to put your faith in the resurrection of Jesus. So as we go on this journey together, we're going to look at Easter and this resurrection through the eyes of Peter. I know some of you brought your Bibles, which is great. Turn back to Mark. We're going to look at Mark's account, Mark and Luke, but flip back to Mark, chapter 16. And here's the thing, we need to understand the context headed into this. We understand that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and a couple of his close friends, they're headed to the tomb where Jesus was buried. And they just want to be close to him. They're hoping to anoint the body, but they don't expect to even see the body because Jesus has been closed in the tomb for days. And so they get close to the tomb, they see this young man clothed in white, sitting on the stone, right, which has been rolled away. Of course, an angel, you see that? So in Mark 16, here's what it says, verse 6. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. This invitation to come and see, look, he's not here anymore, right? But then it's go tell the disciples. And here's what's interesting to me. And Peter. Did you ever wonder why? Why did Peter uniquely get singled out of all the disciples, of all the people, of all the possibilities? Go make sure the disciples know that Jesus has been raised from the dead and make sure that you find and you tell Peter. So we're gonna look at the resurrection through the eyes of Peter. So let's go back. Where did this relationship between Jesus and Peter begin? We go back to the beginning of Mark, chapter 1. We see that Peter was one of Jesus' first and best friends. Verse 16, it says this, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, who later, Jesus changes his name to Peter, that's right, and his brother Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living Jesus calls out to them, come and follow me. I'll show you how to fish for people. And so they left their nets at once and they followed Jesus. The first thing that Jesus gives Peter when he sees him, when he meets him, is an invitation to follow. Come and follow me. It's the first thing that Jesus is going to give you, an invitation to follow him. And he's inviting him into this adventure, inviting him into this story where, hey, he's basically saying, come, I want you to learn about who I am. I want you to let me teach you all kinds of amazing things about who I am and how God created you and how this world works. I want you to see the power of God work in and through me. I want it to captivate your life. And it's a pretty startling request if you think about it. This teenage boy and his brother, some fishermen, and Jesus saying, come, follow me. And I don't know, right, if there was something there, but it had to be intriguing enough for Peter to say yes. Think about what he's giving up. Think about what he's letting go of in order to choose to follow Jesus. Because see, Peter's going to have to leave some things behind. He's going to have to let go of his assumptions about the world. He's going to have to let go of his career. He's going to have to let go of everything that would have been providing for his family at that point. He would have had to let go of some relationships with family and friends. There were all kinds of sacrifices that Peter was making in order to say yes to follow Jesus. And here's one of the things, do you think Peter fully knew who Jesus was at this point? I mean, Peter, maybe growing up as a, as a Jewish boy, had learned about this coming predicted Messiah, the Savior of the world, but you think he knew? I mean, word had just started to spread about Jesus, but he hadn't done anything spectacular. He hadn't given all kinds of messages. Like, it was new and unfolding, and this guy shows up, and all of a sudden, he invites him to follow. I think there was enough intrigue there to say, maybe, maybe this is Jesus. Maybe this is the one that we've been waiting for the one thing we know is he was willing to follow. He was willing to explore those questions, explore the doubt, explore the assumptions that he had made, he was willing to find out if Jesus was in fact who he said he was. And so the question, the first question that Easter really asks is, are you willing to follow? Are you willing to follow Jesus? You don't have to have all your questions answered. You don't have to have all your doubts figured out. But are you willing to fall? Are you willing to let go of some things? Are you willing to explore your questions? Are you willing to let Jesus walk with you and talk with you? Are you willing to really dive into his word and get to know him? Really investigate your questions well? Are you willing to see what he might have for you? That's the first invitation that Easter gives. And part of it is what's beautiful? I already know the answer. Yes. Do you know, do you know how I know that? because you're here. Now, maybe you're going, well, I'm here because I was promised this amazing lunch, which is fantastic. But here's what I know. God doesn't waste your time. And so already there's going to be enough intrigue and wonder like, well, is this true? Is this just a story? Well, it's just an invitation to follow. Are you willing to take a next step? Are you willing to go home? Are you willing to search? Are you willing to come back next week? We're here every week. We'll be here you can come back. Are you willing to show up and connect with friends? Are you willing to maybe step into Alpha and start exploring some of the bigger questions about the world and life and faith and all of these things? Are you just willing to follow like Peter? Because that's the first step towards really understanding the resurrection is following Jesus. So Peter, of course, says yes. And he goes on this grand adventure then with Jesus, right? Over three and a half years, they spend every day and every night, and they're just walking together. And Jesus is interacting with all these people and giving these amazing sermons about life and about love and about forgiveness and about grace and about kindness and compassion and about this entirely different life and world that's possible through a relationship with God and Jesus. Peter gets to hear all of these things. And not only that, Jesus is performing miracles. We've heard about miracles. How many of you have heard that Jesus did miracles? Just whether you've been here, like, of course, we know. It's like, what? What? Jesus did miracles. Yes, Peter has a front row seat to all of these miracles. Not only does he get to see Jesus do some startling things, heal, like give sight to people that were blind, people that couldn't hear, now they can hear, people that hadn't walked since they were born and now they're in their 30s and then they could walk again. He does some startling things. Peter has a front row seat. Not only does Peter get to see some miracles, Peter participates in them with Jesus, so some of you remember, Jesus fed thousands, over 15,000 people on a hillside with a couple loaves of bread and fish. But you know what Peter got to do? Pick up leftovers. He sent the disciples out. It's like they've collected baskets. He must have been going, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like what's happening? Peter got to, got to walk on water. How many of you have walked on water? Anyone? Like Peter's the guy. Who had a shot at this, right? Remember, it's stormy and they're in a boat and Jesus says, come on out. Peter's the only one who said, I'm gonna give this a shot. And he takes a few steps. He walked on, what a story. Because not only did he see, he got to participate in the miracles of Jesus, this grand adventure. You can imagine, that would change you. That would shape you. All of a sudden, maybe I'm going to investigate and explore this Jesus. I'm going to follow him would become, wow, I have faith in this guy. He is who he says he is. This is crazy. I've gone from fisherman to being a participant in this supernatural kingdom, this resurrection power. Like, I get it. I see it. I'm a part of it. And you would think, right, it makes sense that Peter would totally get it. That faith in Jesus, he would do anything for Jesus at this point, And he proves it. He even says, Jesus, I'll do anything for you, right? This person who chose you and saw you and invited you and has given you this grand adventure and this story and these memories and this power. It's like, oh, I would do anything. So Jesus is walking his disciples into this week, holy week, the last week of his life. And he had been trying to prepare them and tell them, hey, you gotta understand, I'm not gonna be here forever. I am going to die a brutal, horrible death, be beaten, eventually crucified, but I'm gonna rise and come back from the dead. I'm gonna conquer sin and death and I'm gonna overcome the power of evil. And he begins to prepare them once and for all, like remember that thing we've been talking about? It's now. This is the week. This day is coming. And so Peter just becomes adamant because Jesus, as he's telling his disciples, his friends, and having this conversation, he goes, here's the deal. It's gonna be so bad. You guys are all gonna leave me. You're all gonna desert me. You're all gonna walk away because the pain is too great. And Peter, of course, is the one who goes, okay, maybe those guys, but not this guy. Jesus, you don't understand. You're my best friend. You're my only friend. Where else would I go? And Jesus just smiles at Peter, and he says, Peter, here's the thing. Before morning, this is at night, he said, before tomorrow morning, you're going to deny that you even know me. You are going to put your arms up and hold them out and say, you're going to deny that you even know me. You're going to betray me. You are going to abandon me in my greatest moment of need. And Peter, of course, says, no, not me. Even if everybody else scatters, Jesus, I won't. So you can imagine that moment. Jesus' final hours, they're in the the garden. And all of a sudden, Jesus is arrested. He's carried across and led across this valley into the, the high priest's home, which would have been over here. And then there's a courtyard outside the house where there's kind of these windows in it. And they're trying Jesus in there. And so Peter kind of follows at a distance and ends up in this courtyard, where they're trying his best friend, Jesus, who he's had this unbelievable adventure with right there. And look at what happens, the way Luke records it in chapter 22. They arrested Jesus, they led him to this home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards, they lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. Peter joined them there. A servant girl, she noticed him in the firelight, began staring at him. Finally, she put it together. She said, this man was one of Jesus's followers. Peter denied it. Woman he said, There's, I don't even know him. More time passes. After a while, someone else looks at him and says, you must be one of them. No, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, so this is happening over time. Someone else insisted this must be one of them. Look at him. He is from Galilee. He's a Galilean. Peter said, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Morning And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through his mind. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny three times that you even know me. Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. You can imagine the overwhelming sense of failure and regret and pain and shame that must have just swept over Peter in that moment as he turns and he looks and locks eyes with Jesus. The one who invited him, the one who chose him, the one who gave him this fantastic life and adventure, the one that he said he'd never deny and in that moment he's caught. And so he does what all of us would do, he he runs away. And all of us understand in that moment he didn't just lose a, a friend. Peter, he was losing his dream. He lost all hope. He lost his calling. He, he lost the memories of what had been. Every moment with Jesus to that point, and that, you can imagine, would be tainted by this denial and this betrayal and this failure. Peter lost everything. And we, under, we understand failure. We understand moments like that where we're caught. We understand looking into the eyes of loved ones after we've just done horrific things, lied, betrayed, abandoned, cheated, stolen, having to confront our worst fears, our deepest failures, our greatest regrets, we understand what that must have been like. We understand what it's like to close your eyes at night and think back about your worst moments, your greatest pain, toss and turn, Wake up in the morning thinking, did I really do that? Did that really happen? We understand failure. And here's what's interesting the world says, and Peter believed, just like us, that failure is fatal. You see, part of why Peter ran away is because he believed that failure was fatal. This moment was gonna be the moment that defined him and his relationship with Jesus. You see, the world says you're defined by your worst moments. The world says you're defined by your worst choices. The world locks you in, in prisons of shame and guilt and fear. We live in a world that loves to just point fingers and to laugh at the heroic mistakes that we make as human beings. There's a relentless desire of this world to put you in a prison of guilt and shame and fear, to lock you up, to confine us. You see, we live in a world where failure is fatal. It says you can't make mistakes. There are no do overs, let alone second or third or fourth chances for people. We live in a world that says failure is fatal. And here's the thing, without Jesus and the resurrection, there's truth to that. Without Jesus and the resurrection, we can't overcome our own failure. We can't pay for the type of damage that we do in our relationships to one another or certainly in our relationship with God. We can't be good enough, we can't earn it, we can't strive, we can't buy it back, we can't show up at church enough times, we can't give enough, we can't serve enough. There's nothing we can do to overcome our story of failure apart from Jesus. It separates and destroys relationships. You ever live in that kind of prison? You ever have to walk in that kind of a pain? Of course you have, all of us have. All of us have found ourselves in these tunnels of darkness, feeling absolutely overwhelmed by shame, or guilt, or condemnation, or a world that points its fingers. and says, I can't believe, and you shouldn't, and you should never. We all end up in a world just like Peter. So what do we do? What do we do with that? What did Peter do? Well, like we said, he ran away. And I think all of us can understand why. Why he would choose to run away. We try and outrun the shame or the guilt or the fear. We try and get away from it as far as we can. And you can imagine G- Peter running away from that moment and the denial and betrayal of Jesus. He's trying to just get away from it as far as he can. And he would hear then about, about the crucifixion. And you can imagine, it's like, that's my worst moment. That's what's gonna live forever. But then he would hear about the resurrection and that may be almost more terrifying so, part of him is probably like, wow, it's true. Everything that I believed and had hope for, it's true. And then part of him's going, oh man, it's true. And I am going to come face to face again with Jesus. And what's that going to look like? And what's that going to feel like? Because the world says failure is fatal. And we see what happens. We see what it looks like as Peter runs. John chapter 21 shows us what this, what this looks like. As Peter, like all of us, as he's running, he simply tells the disciples, and he just goes, I'm going fishing. I'm going back. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to what feels safe. I'm going back to what feels comfortable and secure. There's no way that Jesus would ever want me to be part of his kingdom story now. There's no way that Jesus wants me to live out this life that he showed me how to live. So, I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to what I deserve, which is fishing. But we see it in John chapter 21, he's out fishing with his brother and some of his friends. And on the shore, they see this guy starting to cook some breakfast. And he yells out to him, They fished all night, haven't caught a single thing. And so he yells out, he goes, Why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? And sure enough, they do, and they can't even haul them up. There's so many fish, which which is exactly what happened the first time when Jesus called those disciples. And so instantly they know it's Jesus. And so Peter's the first one in the water swimming to shore, overwhelmed probably with joy and filled with terror at the same time. But just I have to go see for myself, is this true? And so you can imagine they all get to shore, and like I said, Jesus is cooking breakfast some fish sit down. I bet it was a pretty quiet breakfast. As Peter's wondering what to say, has no words. And so finally, he doesn't have to worry about it. Jesus breaks the silence. And he simply looks at Peter. And at some point, he just says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. He asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, you could imagine, just over, he says, yes, I love you. Jesus asks one more time, Peter, do you love me? And at this point, he's just filled with yes. He's almost hurt. Like, I can't believe you're even asking. You know that I love you. I gave my life to follow you, to investigate you, to be with you, to participate in your kingdom. It's everything I ever wanted. It's everything I could have imagined. It's all that I hoped for. I love you. The question that, Peter was really asking, Is do you still love me? Jesus takes the time to say, Peter, remember those adventures we had? Remember everything that you heard me teach people about forgiveness and about grace and about love and about kindness and about compassion and about a new life and about a new way of living? Remember that? Do you remember those great adventures? Remember everything that you've learned? Remember everything that you participate in? Peter, I just need you to live that out now. And he simply just says this Jesus told him, Follow me. Just follow me. Just do what you've always done. Walk with me, have faith. Know and live that there's a bigger story than what we're participating in. Because the world, Peter, says that failure is fatal, but Jesus says failure is not fatal. You see, your worst moment is not your defining moment. That's not who you are. That was a bad decision. That was a bad choice, Peter. You see, that just proves how desperately you need the cross, That's how desperate, see, you can't take care of that kind of failure, can you, Peter? That's why I did. Do you understand? That's why I died on the cross. Because you can't can't pay for your damage that you create in your own life and for the relationships around. You can't do that. And not only that, that's why I rose from the dead, to give you a sense of there's hope. There's hope. There's power, there's strength, there's wisdom, there's guidance, there's grace to live beyond anything and any choice you have made or you will make. Peter, don't you see? Failure isn't fatal. Jesus is offering this freedom and this life. And he's saying, I gave you a life. I showed you what it looked like. I just need you to go live it. Don't get stuck in a moment. Don't don't let the world define you. Don't let your enemies define you. Walk courageously into who I am. You see, faith in Jesus is about a life of freedom. And that's what Jesus is redefining and recalibrating for Peter's life in this moment and for you and for me. Faith in Jesus, the Easter, the resurrection that transforms Peter from this common, everyday, ordinary fisherman that was settling for a small life and a small story and reminds him that he's seen and he's loved and he's valuable and he's chosen. And through the power of the resurrection, he has everything he needs. And we watch Peter for extra credit. You can read the book of Acts. It's unbelievable. You watch Peter go from this common, everyday, ordinary Jewish school dropout kid fisherman to being this anchor, this courageous pastor and leader of the early church that just continually and consistently invites people into this great adventure, telling them, listen, failure isn't fatal. You just have to believe and follow Jesus and put your faith in Him, and you can walk out this life of great adventure. And that's the question that Easter invites us into. Are you willing to follow Jesus? Are you willing to put your faith into Jesus? And here's the thing, I, I, I'm sure some of you may be going, that's a great story about Peter, and you understand and know lots of characters in the Bible where God reshapes their identity in the same way. And you're listening to me and go, yeah, I understand Like how you're a pastor guy, probably the staff has amazing stories. Listen, you're sitting in a room full of people that have powerful stories of faith. Things that were dead and decaying in their life that have been brought back to life through the power of Jesus. I want you to hear just one of those from David, a member of our our friend's family.
1: I grew up in a typical Suburban home. As a child, I did have self-esteem issues, I guess. I started drinking when I was 16 years old, and by the time I hit college, that had progressed to, to um, you know, harder drugs, um, and which progressed to even harder drugs. So by the time I was in my late 20s, early 30s, I was a full-blown, full-blown addict. I could see the, the, the chaos I was causing in my own life and I could see the chaos I was causing in, um, in my family's life. I just seemed to be unable to do anything about it. Finally, I was brought to a place where um, I was at the end of myself. And so I attempted to take my life at that point. From there, they took me to a rehab place and I just decided to stay. It was after that time that I um, reached out to an old friend and found out that there was still a, like, a really strong connection. And then probably within a year or so, we were dating. And within a year of that, we were married. You know, we had adopted a couple of boys. We adopted our sons. Nancy just wanted a place to take the kids, and she wanted them to grow up in a church, even though she wasn't a believer at the time. We had visited friends once before. I liked the music, so I said, hey, let's let's go back. And Nancy, like, immediately started getting involved in, in volunteering in Bible studies and found us a life group. And then eventually she did become a believer. And I still had that issue with trust. Um, that's always been a thing like, throughout my whole life is trusting is difficult. Um, but I kept showing up, you know, wherever Nancy goes, I go. So. You know, eventually I was in a spot where I had no choice but to learn how to trust God. And that was about four years ago um, when Nancy got sick. And, um, and I almost lost her and I didn't know what to do. This was four years ago. So I went to work one morning and she sent me a text that said that she went to the emergency room and she has the flu and pneumonia and they're admitting her and one of the people looked at her and said why is she here get her to cardiology now and it turns out that what she was feeling was was, was heart failure by that time her heart had been so damaged and that her only real option was a heart transplant you know all the things i had been through in my life had never occurred to me that i could lose my best friend you know i was just i was crippled by fear i was crippled by fear I came to the Saturday night service and don't remember hardly anything about it, except for one of the songs they played. It was the song that talks about I'm no longer a slave to fear. I just knew that was God like yelling at me with megaphones, like, you're my child, you don't need to fear. And um, I I just broke down. I finally gave up and said, okay God, I trust you because I don't have any other choice. It's been an incredible journey, just learning more about his love and his faithfulness to me. And in spite of all my rebellion, in spite of all my unfaithfulness, I was able to learn that hope was here. And hope has always been there. I uh-
0: Are you willing to follow Jesus, to let him speak into your fear, let him speak into your questions, let him talk to you about your doubts or your anxiety or your, are you just willing to follow, investigate, be curious and explore, see if he, he is who he says he is. Maybe for some of you, you've taken that journey for a long time and you believe, but you're just kind of hesitant. Hesitant to surrender, hesitant to sacrifice and let go. The sense of control or even safety or security, those things in your life. Are you ready to place your faith in Jesus? Are you ready to give him the ability to speak into and redefine your identity, to take your worst failure, your worst moments, your greatest regrets, give you life and strength? As we close today, I just want to invite you, if you would, just to close your eyes wherever you are. I invite you to do that. Just... So you're not distracted. Just want you to sit for one moment in this Easter. I want you to think about what has God been saying to you today? Why are you here? Maybe for some of you, this is the day that you choose just to go on an adventure with Jesus. Jesus. Like Peter did. Just start to follow. Just I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna start investigating and exploring. Give Jesus the opportunity to talk to me through prayer, through his word. Maybe it's just coming back to church, showing up at Alpha. Maybe it's your turn to follow. Or maybe for some of you, this is the moment where. You've tried to manage your sin. You've tried to manage your failure. You've tried to manage your life on your own. But this is the day you choose to place your faith in Jesus. Your life today and for all of eternity in his hands. For, for either group of people, just right where you're at, if that's you, I just want to invite you to raise your hand wherever you are. Everybody's eyes closed, but if God's inviting you to follow him, to explore who he is, just raise your hand. If God's inviting you to place your faith in him, just raise your hand where you're at. Just hold it up for one moment. I just want to pray for you. Just want to pray. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for the power of the resurrection of Easter and what it represents to us in new life. And an opportunity to not have our worst moments and our failures define us, but God, to have you and your love and your grace and your power and your life and your death and your resurrection define us. And so I pray for every son and daughter that raised their hand this morning You see them, you know them, you know their hearts. And I I believe that even today, you will fill them with a sense of hope and peace and even purpose that's new. I pray that you would resurrect dreams and identities and callings and passion. I pray that you would resurrect hope in their life. I pray that you would bring joy that would overflow And we pray this in the power of your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. One of the steps that Jesus invites us into biblically when we place our faith in him is baptism. Baptism is a physical, tangible expression of placing our life in his hands. And so when we go under the water, it represents being buried with Jesus and raising to new life when we come out of the water. And so there's a couple people from our church family that are going to be baptized today. So I invite you to join as we celebrate with them.